Welcome to My Ed Expert, specializing in what's possible in education. By merging research, practice, and passion, we provide insights from top educational thought leaders for right now implementation. Now, here's your host, author Susie Pepper Rollins. I am so glad you joined us today. Think about the school day, how much of it involves questions. There are questions in our textbooks, questioner resources. We're asking our students questions. They're hopefully asking us questions. A lot of the day is filled with questioning. And yet, how much do I know? Not enough about questions. I'm telling you that. So our session today is really about questioning questions. So gosh, did I find the perfect guest for this, Eric Francis. I've been wanting to talk to him forever because uh, he has a book from ASCD called Now That's a Good Question. How are you, Eric? Good morning. Thank you for joining us. Good morning, Susie. How are you doing this morning? I am fantastic. I got to tell everybody, Eric's a trooper. We're taping this on a Sunday right before football. So anyway, thanks, Eric. So, Okay. I'm going to tell everybody a little bit about you uh, and your back. you got an interesting past. Um, like I said, he's the author of Now That's a Good Question. And the subtitle of that is How to Promote Cognitive Rigor Through uh, classroom questioning. That's ASCD's book. He also has a company called Maverick Education. He's a professional developer. He supports schools and efforts to teach and learn for cognitive rigor. And my favorite part of Eric's background, he's a former middle and high school teacher, which is where I taught um, math and ELA. Also worked as an administrator, leader, a program specialist. So, you know, I'm, I'm already feel connected to you because of the middle school background. I'm a firm believer that we take on the traits of our kids sometimes. I joke with people that if I taught middle school for any longer, I'd be, I'd be sagging my pants. You know, <laughs> I just look just like them. I got where I talk like them, acted like them, you know, so it's good that I got a little break from middle school, but I do love those middle school kids. All right. Tell us a little bit more about, I'm curious about your passion on questioning. I mean, to write a whole book, on, and it's really pretty interesting about all the kinds of questions that I hadn't thought about. You know, where did this all start with you? And fill a little bit more about your background for us, please. Well, I've been an educator for over 20 years. Uh, as you said, I worked uh, as a middle school teacher and also as a high school teacher. Um, I was also a site administrator for a middle school. Um, and then I worked for the state education department here in Arizona, working uh, in the Office of English Language uh, Acquisition Services, working with ELLs, and also in the Title I unit, where I provide training to the schools on how to develop their Title I programs. So about 2012, I decided to break out of my own and form my own company, Maverick Education. It's named after my daughters, Madison, Avery, and Amanda. And I'm also a child of the 80s, so my favorite movie is Top Gun, which I'm pretty excited. There's a sequel coming out in a couple of years. Um, Aren't so, we all? Yeah. Anyway, not my not my middle school daughter. She <laughs> makes fun of uh, Tom Cruise all the time, even though he's, I'm a huge fan of his. And uh, so I started my company. I first started doing um, Title I consulting, helping schools set up their Title I programs. But what I also really want to do is be an instructional leader. That's why I got into administration. And uh, unfortunately, as, as things happen with administration, you, you do everything but be an instructional leader. I was doing mostly discipline. So my grandfathers, who were New York police officers, they were proud I became a police officer. They always, I always wanted to be. I was a cop without a badge. But what I always want to do is do professional development and train teachers. So I use this technique I actually developed when I taught high school with questioning. Um, what I used to do is I used to give up my prep hour and teach out of my content area if they were hard to fill positions. And I found myself on the weekends uh, asking the questions, doing the research, doing the investigating, doing the uh, ex uh, examining of the topics, and also designing these PowerPoints that look like uh, George Lucas and James Cameron movies. 
And I would stand there in front of the room and tell the kids, hey, look at what I learned. And they would just sit there passively. So what I decided to do is I started to turn over the work to the students and ask them the questions. And that's how I started teaching my class, where basically I would walk in and I would ask the question and the kids would say, I don't know. And I'd say, I don't expect you to, but this is what you're going to think about. Um, it kind of also crept into my English language arts class because I gave this assignment once on an author study of Mark Twain. And I was giving a lecture. I used to give great lectures. And I said, Mark Twain was the original bad boy. And I got 90 plus papers back that said to me, not Mark Twain was the original bad boy. And only one student cited my lecture. So I basically tossed it out and I said, why is Mr. Francis called Mark Twain, the original bad boy? And how did he influence modern day um, satire and comedy? So what happened with that is that the students started doing more of the thinking, more of the work. And I just really, just really fell into it about how to ask questions, not so much to assess knowledge, which is what we've typically done to you with questions, but to spark thinking, to stimulate thinking, to uh, deepen knowledge, understanding, awareness, to tell the students, hey, this is what you need to think about as you enter this lesson. And this is what you need to go out and acquire and gather uh, the information you need to go inquire and gather to develop into deeper knowledge you're going to be able to use to uh, answer any question or address any item or complete any task assigned to you. Well, that's really interesting. And I'm still getting over the fact that you gave up your planning and, and the time you had. And it, boy, we got to be instructional leaders. It's interesting. I was just reading a book uh, from a CEO of one of the biggest com companies uh, in the in the world and he made the comment that even as the CEO, the top leaders, the number one thing we do is train. The most important thing we do is professional development. And it's funny that you mentioned that because I just got the reading about the CEO and I thought, boy, isn't that right? Um, and so I'm, I'm looking at your book. Now, that's a good question. You mentioned five things a good question does. So can you just maybe give us a, not too much of a deep dive of a quick summary? Because I know that I don't know that. Well, the first thing is good questions stimulate deeper thinking. It gets the kids, uh, their minds sparking. It gets them uh, thinking about what it is that they're going to learn. It, if you look at how you teach, it's really interesting. I talk about this in my professional development trainings and my seminars. We're very directive in our teaching. We say, do this. And when you do that, you watch how passive people come. Their eyes bow, their head bows a little bit, their eyes lower, excuse me. And when I ask a question, their eyes light up. Your, your face brightens. I mean, if we had a CAT scan or MRI in the room, you would see the brain sparking. So it stimulates deeper thinking. It gets you thinking about it. Good questions also deepen your knowledge, understanding, awareness. It's supposed to basically uh, make you want to go and go out and learn more. And that's the next thing it does. It expands your knowledge, extends your thinking. It basically provokes you to go beyond the standard, go beyond the textbook, go beyond yourself in terms of what you're learning. Good questions also pique curiosity, imagination, interest, and wonder. The most powerful question I say that we can ask is what if? That's the most powerful question because it gets us thinking creatively. But most importantly, good questions allow students to express and share their learning in their own unique way. It's not about answering items correctly. It's not about solving problems and completing tasks successfully. It's about being able to demonstrate and communicate your learning in your own unique way. If I give you 25 math problems to solve, that tells me you can solve those 25 problems in that setting. If I give you a text to read, it tells me that you understand that text in that setting. But when you ask the question, 
question of how and why and what if, or what is the reason, or what are the connections or the causes or the consequences, or what if, give multiple choice questions of should or, is or, was or, does or, or even more so effective questions where you say, what do you think? How do you feel? What do you believe? Now you're basically allowing the students not only demonstrate and communicate their learning in their own unique way, but you also can assess authentically how deeply and extensively they understand what they're learning. Great. And, you know, you mentioned textbooks. So let's talk about that a little bit more. When we look at our textbooks and other resources that we're using, they're filled with questions. And it's funny because when I read your uh, some, of, some of the things you've done, I actually did that. I, I, I grabbed some books off the shelf and I looked at them. So I've already done that based on what I read from you. But share with our listeners, what's that pro- what does that exercise do for us? Why do you recommend doing that? Well, see, the thing I, th- I call textbooks, textbooks are a tool, okay? It's, it's your hammer. It's your paintbrush. It is a tool. Basically, the teacher is an artist or the teacher is an architect. The teacher is the construction worker. The teacher is the person who basically crafts the learning. Textbooks generally give you questions that in terms of a depth of knowledge, they would be mostly at a DOK one or DOK two, or they don't even ask questions. They just say, do this. But the question really needs to come from the teacher. It's interesting because Benjamin Bloom, and a lot of people use Bloom's taxonomy to create their questions. Benjamin Bloom even said in his handbook that the taxonomy is not meant to be used to create questions. It's been meant to be used to create educational objectives. He says questions come from the teacher. But in our standards-based uh, learning environment, the questions have mostly become come from the tests, where basically what we're doing is assessing knowledge. Teaching historically has always been about asking questions. And it's not only been about asking questions to assess knowledge, it's to spark thinking. That's the true Socratic method, where basically Socrates would walk in and ask a question, and he'd get everyone to think and everyone to consider. That's the thing about textbooks, though. Textbooks are your tool. It's your resource. You can use a textbook as basically a platform, but the question should really come from the teacher. And what's interesting is I find teachers have a very, very challenging time coming up with good questions, not in terms of their quality, but those really good questions that basically get the kids thinking or wanting to learn about the texts and topics that they're reading and reviewing in class. Right. That's very insightful. And I look at textbooks. Textbooks are sort of like mini encyclopedias. You know what I mean? They're, they're a tool that we use, just kind of like what you're saying. And you're, you're talking about students. We want them to generate questions. And of course, that's a big key component in reading is questioning. How, what, what guidance can you give us in terms of getting our students to think more about their questioning? Well, that's interesting. One of the chapters I talk about is I talk about the personal question. And the personal question is I ask my students after I've uh, delved into the topic a little bit and they've built some background knowledge, what do you want to learn about this topic? What do you want to uh, go out? What knowledge do you want to acquire about this topic? And they come up with their question. And that becomes their question. I do not um, basically say anything about their question. That is their question to address and respond to. And what I encourage students to do is that they go out and they research and examine and investigate the question. And then they have to design a presentation in which they would basically present what they discovered to the class. So in that sense, the student becomes the teacher. What's interesting is our kids naturally ask questions. Think about a child between the age of two and five. What's the question they always ask? Why? 
And the questions they ask, it's not something you can answer off the top of your head. It's basically something you need a science textbook. Like they would ask, why does the sun set and rise? Or why do leaves change color? They're very, very insightful. What's interesting is that when students start school, the questioning shifts from the child to the adult. And the adult is asking questions not so much to spark thinking or to stimulate learning. They're doing it to assess knowledge. And what happens is as a child goes through school, they stop asking questions because it becomes the adult who asks the questions and they're supposed to respond to that Q&A. What we should have our students do is we should basically have them try to come up with their own questions, get them invested in the topic. And the best way we can do that is not to tell the students everything they need to know and understand and do up front. Ask them a question, have them actively go out and acquire and gather that knowledge and information so they can process it into deeper thinking they can transfer and use. Great. That's great guidance there. And I know in your book, um, and guys, this is a part you may want to take some quick notes, but not if you're driving. Uh, you examine different kinds of questions in your book. Um, and so I, I want to just kind of dig in a little bit here. The first one we probably think of, but we still need them, are factual ones. How can those help students? Are, is this kind of where we are during the, during the typical day? Let's start with factual questions. Well, factual questions are basically the questions that build background knowledge and foundational and fun- foundational knowledge and functional understanding. Uh, these are your typically your who, what, where, and when. They're basically your recall when it comes to assessments. What I say with factual questions is that factual questions are the questions that students need to research the responses to them. One of the techniques I uh, recommend teachers do is to uh, post the objective of a standard. Don't change it to kid-friendly language because you take away valuable vocabulary development when you do that. You post it as printed or you post a section of text and you ask the kids, what are the words and terms and details you don't know and understand in this Uh, passage or in this uh, objective, how would you phrase that as a question? This is something I did with English language learners when I first started teaching. Uh, I I used to teach language through math. Uh, In fact, my first year of teaching, I had a math class that were all non-English speakers, and I'm trying to teach them math and English, and they're looking at me, but they don't understand the words that are coming out of my mouth. So what I did was I would post the standard, and I would say, what are the words, terms, and details you don't know and understand? And they would phrase it to me as English. So they would say, what does an algorithm or what does fluently mean? So what you do is you piece it apart And you have the students come up with those questions, those factual questions. They need to go out and research and acquire and gather the information. And what you're doing, actually, is you're making it highly student-centered because you're actually having the students create student-centered vocabulary lists. You talked about textbooks. Our textbooks generally have a list of words that the some uh, editor or some writer uh, basically decided that the students need to know and understand. Well, that doesn't mean they know and understand all the words that are in there. But when you do it this way, what you're doing is you're assessing prior knowledge and you're also getting information about what the students don't know and understand and also having them come up with the vocabulary list and the baseline questions that they can go out and acquire and gather the information for. Now, I've got a quick factual question for you before I forget to ask this is how can people reach you? What's your website, your Twitter, all that kind of stuff? Well, my website is www.maverick, M-A-V-E-R-I-K, no C, M-A-V-E-R-I-K, education.com. 
And my Twitter is at Maverick, M-A-V-E-R-I-K-E-D-U-1-2. Okay, great. And I follow you on Twitter. And guys, when we post this on our podcast notes, we'll have a link to Eric's website and his Twitter and all that kind of stuff. He's got his bio on My Expert. And he's also got a really nice, a lot of people have been reading a blog on our homepage on a project. Is it a project? Is it project-based? And that's been getting a lot of reads. So just want to draw you to that on the homepage as well. Okay. So we talked a little bit about factual questions. Let's move on a little bit to analytical questions. What are those? Give us some examples. What do they look like? When do we use them? Let's move to those. Well, analytical questions are about building understanding and developing understanding. If factual questions are about uh, building familiarity, analytical questions, excuse me, analytical questions are about developing understanding. Those are your hows and whys. Those are basically, I would ask, how can the standard algorithm be used to multiply multi-digit whole numbers? Or I would ask what characterizes, what classifies, what um, uh, characterizes. And basically, these are the questions that help students develop understanding. They're supposed to, when they address and respond to these questions, they're supposed to demonstrate and communicate their learning. It's that deeper learning and that deeper understanding they need to develop. So it's not about solving problems. It's about explaining how and why problems can be solved. It's not about what is the text about. It's about how does the author use different literary devices, uses craft and structure to create a... um, to create a text or create a desired effect in a text. So those questions, the analyticals are essentially the hows and whys. This is where you start to get more into think, get into thinking deeper of of understanding of application of analysis and even evaluation. And how are those different from, so are you also talking about reflective questions? So how are those a little bit different? Reflective questions are more about developing deeper understanding and starting to expand awareness. So that's when you're looking at what are the causes, what are the connections, what are the consequences, what are the reasons, the relationships, the results. Uh, Reflective questions, what's really interesting about them is that with analytical, you're demonstrating, communicating how and why something happened. And with reflective, you're kind of looking at it from more of a results oriented where you have the answer and you start looking at it backwards to say, well, why did not why does this happen? But why did this happen? Not what categorizes or classifies or characterizes what you're looking at so much. What are the similarities and differences? Uh, what is the outcome? What is the result? So you're actually uh, teaching, you're actually uh, demonstrating, communicating your learning from the result rather than talking about the process. So now you're getting a little more strategic when you talk about reflective questions. And we can even use argumentative kinds of questions for certain certain contents and, and, and concepts we're teaching. When would we, when might we go with something that's more argumentative? Argumentative is true multiple choice questions. Multiple choice is not, can I pick the correct answer from the three distractors? Multiple choice is, here are three different options. Which one works best and why? Or basically, it's decision making and problem solving where you're asking the students, is or, does or, should or. You're asking the students to make a choice. And what you want to do is you want to give your students your options. An argumentative question should not just say, should the death penalty be abolished? That's a yes or no question. And I say yes or no questions are conversation and cognition killers because there's four ways to answer them. Yes, no, I don't know, and I don't care. But if I said, should the death penalty be abolished? 
permitted or it depends upon the situation, now you have to make a choice. So when it comes to argumentative questions, what you're actually doing is that you're drawing conclusions and defending your choices and decisions. Okay, so let me ask if I'm correct on this, because I was working with the group a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking, believe it or not, about re- the Reconstruction period. And there mm-hmm. were two, you know, two viewpoints, basically, on that. You had the Radical Republicans, you had Lincoln's plan. And so if I'm teaching that, I might post that to my students where they have to decide in the end, which of these two or a combination of those plans do you think would have put the nation on the best course? Would that be a good time to use argumentative? Is that a good example or no? Well, that's really interesting because now what you're getting into is argumentative, effective questions, affective, A-F-F-E-C-T-I-V-E. That's when you start to ask, what do you think? How do you feel? What do you believe? That Those are really good questions to ask the kid, little kids because that's when they start forming opinions and then going into arguments. So basically with asking, what do you think? What do you feel? What do you believe? Now you're asking the students to really delve personally into the question. It is a form of argumentation, but what you're also doing is you're, you're getting more so into the, uh, what Bloom's calls the effective domain. This is how you basically, uh, synthesize and process information. This is how you perceive information and you have to go and, uh, defend your, uh, attitudes and your beliefs and your ideas and opinions. So so that's basically going even to a higher level because argumentative is which one truly reflects the uh which one truly reflects the uh American ideals during a reconstruction period. So you give them the choices. Which do you think now you're getting personal with them, which is really good. And that that's a really that's the one I want to talk to you uh too about is are the personal questions because I'm sure we use them, but I maybe not categorize them that way. So what's the value in the personal questions and when would we use those? Personal questions again is about the students. So if you look at my questioning framework in the book, you go from the essential questions and I say there's four types and then you go to the factual would build your background knowledge and basically develop familiarity. Then you go your analytical reflective, which is basically about understanding and your hypothetical and argumentative is about developing and deepening your awareness. But when you go effective and personal, now you're delving into expertise. Now you're highly student centered. So basically you've gone from mostly teacher crafted questions and going from factual to more student uh, developed responses. The personal comes from the student. And even if they say, why do I need to learn this? That's a good personal question. I had a student who I was teaching Puritanism and he said, why do I need to learn this? And I said, that's your question. He said, yeah. I said, okay, good. Here's the deal. You can't say I don't, I don't need to, and I don't want to, because sometimes if you think about it, there's some stuff we teach that uh, the kids just really don't understand why they need to learn this or they feel like it's no relevance in their life. If they can come up with a good argument as to why they feel like they don't need to learn this, then that's a good question because what you're doing is you're having the student defend their beliefs and attitudes. Now, I can tell you when the student did this, he did not do it in a very uh, uh, polite way. There was a little bit of a um, uh, sarcasm in in his uh, response, but he defended his decisions. I mean, he basically, when I was teaching about Puritanism and he was saying, why do I need to learn this? I realize I don't. It's not because I'm not religious. It's because I don't even think this is religion. This is fear-mongering and blind worship. And he used specific examples from Jonathan Edwards' uh, 
Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, where basically he talks about his sermon and talks about how he compares it with spider dangling over the pits of hell and how Anne Bradstreet, she's okay with how everything burned up and went up to heaven. And she, he said, he goes, she needs to live in reality. She needs to get a job. She needs to go and basically take responsibility. She can't just put all her stuff into faith. It was not the most polite thing, but boy, he defended his, his uh, position on this. And what's interesting is, is that this was a child who was brilliant. He was highly gifted and he failed every class through K through 12. He could ace all the tests. He got 1,600 SATs. He got fives on his AP exams, but he failed every class because not only was he gifted, but he was also manic depressive and he just could not get through the day. There were some days he couldn't even get to school because he couldn't get out of bed. And he asked this question, why do I need to learn this? And that was his one question. And I went down to the council's office and said, we need to get a 504 on this kid. And his 504 was he had to ask one question, his question, a personal question. And it was always, why do I need to learn this? And sometimes it was a positive response. Sometimes he argued, this was a waste of my time. But that's fine because what you're doing is you're teaching a student how to not only come up with the question, but also defend, explain their points of view in their own unique way and hopefully in a polite way and and a purposeful way. Wow, what an interesting story. And that makes me kind of think of this question. And this is a big question for you. But, um, you know, obviously, I'm saying listening to you, questioning is a fabulous instructional technique. And and I'm listening to how I, mean, I love the, you know, when the kids asking this, but I want to move to student work because many, I'm in classrooms every week, and there might be some great questioning going on on both sides. And then when we go to what are the students creating, Sometimes, I mean, how do we move there? How do we make sure that their work that they're creating is representative of this level of thought? Again, I look at a lot of it with uh, student choice, where basically the students choose how deeply and extensively they want to go. Um, I graded like the AP exam. So in the AP exam, when you when you do the written portion of the AP English language uh, exam, the English literature exam. Everyone starts out with a five, which means that you're basically correct. And based upon the quality of response, you either go up or you go down. Now, if a student just wrote basically a sentence straight out of the book, I would say that's probably about a four or a five. And they're correct, which means if you use letter grades, that's a C. Okay, because if you think about being correct, you're 50-50. You also can find correct answers on the computer. But what we want to do is we want to have the students be able to explain in their unique way, go further with it. What I used to tell my students is that when you respond to a question, when you address and respond to a question, you are not only demonstrating, communicating to me the depth and extent of your understanding, but you think of it from a client-customer relation. You are showing me you care enough to put in the effort to, sh- to teach me what you know and understand. I wanted my students to take pride in their responses. It's not just that two plus two equals four. It's that they can explain to me how can addition be used to find the sum of two plus two. That's that deeper understanding. Writing is key. Oral communication is key. Creative communication, technical communication, it's key. We always have to challenge the students to go further. 
The other thing is, and stairs-based grading has really transformed my perspective. Um, a lot of the work of Ken O'Connor and Leanne Jung and uh, Rick Wormelli with stairs-based grading, where basically what you're doing is you're trying to challenge the student to get to a deeper level of proficiency and mastery, Where and you're not holding against them if, if they don't do the work, they give them an incomplete. What you want to do is you always want to encourage the students to go deeper, to go further, that's why I ask the question and say, is that all you have to say about it? And they say, yeah. I said, well, do you think that's an A answer? And they say, yeah, I think it's an A answer. I said, well, who gives the A? And they say, you do. Well, guess what I think? And I ask them, do you want an A? If you want an A, here's what you need to do. Or if you look at standards-based grading, if you want to demonstrate proficiency or mastery, here's what you need to do. You give them that choice. Say what you have right now. Okay, that's correct. But if you really want to get that higher grade, choose to go further. So again, it all comes down to student choice. It all comes down to how could the student choose the depth and extent that they go. And if they get a grade, then invite them to say, okay, come to my office hours, come during my prep hour, come during lunch, come during after school if I had a prep hour, and we'll sit down and we go through it. And I say, because you saw me, I'll give you a couple of points higher. And if you redo it tonight... Uh, and look, make it look professional, I'll give you a full point higher. But again, it's always about student choice. How deep and how much further can they go with their response? Always challenge them with that. Well, Eric, I'm, I'm going to summarize some of my key points. And then what I'm going to ask you to do is chime in with a couple that you would really like to leave with, with everybody for next day implementation, some things to just grab. I've learned so much from you. I mean, it made me think a bit when you were talking about, we do, we look at question as questions as assessment devices, which of course we have, but that's really, we're, we're, we're talking about a whole different way here. We're talking about instructing with these to get students to go beyond, go deeper. I, I've learned a lot about different kinds of questions and we only touched on this guys. This goes in, in real depth in his book. Um, so I would definitely grab that book and get on Eric's website and look at some of his work. Um, to spark thinking, to get them to go deeper and further. Um, and I'm going to check into some of the, what did you call that about this? The, who are the two authors you just mentioned? I know Rick Romelli, but the other two on the, on the grading. Ken O'Connor and Leanne Jung and uh, 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 Garnett uh, Hillman also, they, they do with standards-based grading. They do a, a ton of uh, great stuff when it comes to uh, how to incorporate standards-based grading in your classroom. Okay, we'll have to check that out. So tell us a few things that you would like to summarize and leave with our listeners. Don't just use questioning to assess knowledge. Use questioning to build knowledge. Use questioning to spark thinking. Use questioning to uh, develop familiarity, understanding, awareness, and expertise. You still have to teach, but sometimes we overteach and sometimes we talk too much. And if we give the kids just the basics and ask them to go further with it, with questioning, that not only will help them develop that deeper understanding, but also make them actively learn. Also, watch in your classroom, watch the difference between what happens when you tell kids do this and ask them how and why something can be done. Watch the looks on their faces. We really need to take questioning back from the test because tests don't even ask questions. They say, do this. Here's the item. Which one works? Which one is the correct answer and why? It, you, what you, we need to do is we really need to take back questioning and get it back to the teacher. And what you can do is you can just work, walk into a classroom and, and ask a question and then start the dialogue. 
The other thing is, and this gets a little bit uh, contentious, is that we have this big battle with smartphones in our schools. And look, it, they're a fact of life. But what the great thing about a smartphone or a great thing about technology in our schools is that you have a library at your fingertips. On a smartphone, you can do math. On a smartphone, you can read text. You can go and get the uh, answer to any factual question you, you uh, ask the kids. But we need to teach the kids is how to think critically about what's the difference between stuff which is basically stuff, trivia and opinions and misinformation, disinformation and propaganda and answers. And we need to teach them how to think critically and creatively, how they can use that information and think innovative and inventively. Just the big thing is this. Don't just use questions to assess, use questions to teach and use questions so students can learn. And let me just chime in with that. A couple of things you, you, you mentioned is one thing that I think is just so important as we go forward is when we're crafting lessons, what do I need to teach explicitly and what can I leave for my students to figure out? Because that's the fun part is discovering and letting them figure that out. And number two, gosh, that's what employers are looking for, are independent thinkers and critical thinkers and creative thinkers. It's a, you know, I did a whole thing on this before, but Henry Ford, he ain't hiring right now. You know, Henry Ford's not hiring. So, you know, we've got to really change their uh, employers are now looking for even, even right out of high school, they're looking for critical thinkers. Uh, Eric and I do not want to end this podcast, which has been wonderful, Eric. Thank you so much for your expertise. Um, we don't want to end this podcast without thanking every educator out there for everything you do every day. Every day, you're the most important thing in the world. You open doors for your kids. You create opportunities for your opportunities for your kids. Please join us every Wednesday for a podcast with an educational thought leader like Eric Francis. Eric, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, and I'm glad we were able to do this. I'm glad uh, we were able to uh, get the time to do this and. Uh, we finished it just in time before the NFL game started. And, and that uh, is my go- definition of success right there, buddy. That's right. So th- That's thanks, right. Thanks, everybody. And Eric, thanks again. I've learned so much from you today. Thank you. Thank you. We are so glad you joined us on this episode of My Ed Expert. For more resources on the ever-evolving realm of education, head on over to myedexpert.com and get inspired by all of our author's work through downloads, strategies, and best practices. While you're there, hop on to get updates right to your inbox because you don't want to miss a thing right here on My Ed Expert.